0: Hello friends, and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. Over the next few weeks, I will be posting more episodes than usual in a series that I like to call in my mind the Escape Cast. In a time when I know that we will all be homebound and perhaps a little bit anxious, I have been working to prepare a series of episodes that will fill you with true, good, and beautiful things, along with some fascinating topics and interesting conversation partners. I have reached out to many of my favorite thinkers, tweeters, writers, and performers, and I'll be sharing those episodes with you every couple of days for the next few weeks. It is my hope that this series will bring you a broad variety of interesting topics, some hope and beauty in your days, and also a little bit of wholesome distraction. So tune in here for your hour of sanity and happiness. I'm excited to share this first episode with you, a real treat, an interview with Karen Swallow Pryor, a professor in English literature, talking with me about virtue, character, and the great moral philosopher of the 19th century, Jane Austen. I hope you all enjoy this episode. everyone, and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. It is me, your host, Joy Clarkson, talking to you from a very quiet St. Andrews in Scotland. And today, I have the great delight of welcoming a guest onto the show. I have the, is it the infamous Karen Swallow Pryor? Is that what your Twitter handle says? <laughs> I, right now, it says notorious. Oh, the notorious. Infinite, infamous is the different than... It works, really, I think, <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm so happy to have you on the show today we are skyping during um, kind of where everyone is quarantined all of our all of your teaching at Liberty and all of your classes you're on spring break right now right
1: we're on spring break and I think uh, I think uh, I, I think I'm getting I'm getting text messages as we speak about updates of whether we're returning to campus or not so I'm not too sure well
0: we're kind of in the same place but um I was Yeah, it's a strange thing, strange season, but we're on spring break, and so I was delighted to be able to schedule this podcast interview with you. Welcome to the show. Um, Could you tell my audience a little about who you are and what you do these days and what you're passionate about?
1: Well, yes. Well, as you mentioned, I teach English at Liberty University. Um, I have been there. This is my 21st year of teaching there. Um, I teach a lot of different courses, but my love of all loves is the british novel the 18th and 19th Mm. century um and after this year at liberty i will be moving on to take a research professor post at southeastern baptist theological seminary which is not too far from my current home just a state below me in north carolina Mm. so um It'll be a big transition, but uh, kind of a culmination, I think, of a lot of things I've been doing in my life, not only teaching English, but um, writing about cultural and political topics, writing about literature and doing up more speaking. Um, And so I'm excited about the next uh, chapter that the Lord is opened
0: up for me. I'm excited for you. And I'm so excited to have you on the show because I just, having followed your books and your career over the last few years, you are passionate about so many things that I'm passionate about. Um, and I see you really as someone kind of charging ahead and, and someone to emulate. Um, and we were talking just just before about how my passion for this podcast is really to, to give people access both to really beautiful and good works of art or of literature and then to kind of give them ends for how to engage with that and i i think that's something that um you have have really done for others and been very passionate about so i wanted to ask you first a little bit about you had a a book that came out last year on literature and virtue tell us a little bit about that
1: Yes, yeah, so it, its title is On Reading Well Finding the Good Life Through Great Books.
0: Mm. And
1: it is a book that started out to be a book about books because that's what I love and that's what I <laughs> teach. Um, but I also have been interested in the past few years, um, particularly as a Christian who always emphasized um, Christian worldview and thinking and the intellectual life. Um, I've been exposed more recently to just the idea of practice and embodiment and, um, you know, really becoming what we love, um, Mm. as a book by James (laughs) K. A. Smith puts it, you are what you love. And so when I sat down to write this book about books, um, I started to think about virtues and how Mm. Aristotle said that virtues... Are practices that become habits that then become part of our character mm-hmm. and so I decided to take a look at some of my favorite works of literature through the lens of some of these classical virtues mm-hmm. so it, ed- it ended up being a book really as much about virtue as it is about literature mm-hmm. with 12 chapters on 12 different virtues but looking at those in works of literature that either well, most of the time, let's just face it, most of the time, great literature shows the absence <laughs> of <laughs> virtues or the or the growth of them um, through characters who are flawed and fallen and finding their way mm. as we all are. And so um that's that's the essence of the book is looking at a number of works of literature through the lens of of twelve virtues.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. So, Um, can I pick your brain? Tell us one virtue and one book that you engaged with in, in the book about books. Yeah. Um, so
1: I, let's see, I'll pick, um, love, Mm -hmm. uh, which is in the section on the theological virtues, which are different from, you sort of the classical Greek and Roman virtues. Well,
0: I guess, I guess we should say here that there are the, um, it's the four virtues, right, that are classical, so that's, right? The, well,
1: the, yeah, well, there are many of them, but then are the, the cardinal virtues. Yeah, which are? Yeah, that are, there are, uh, now Now the test comes, prudence, temperance, it's... courage, and...
0: What's that? Uh, oh, now we're yeah. both going to forget it. Wait, yeah. now I've got to look it up. I know, I wrote a book about it.
1: Uh, prudence, temperance, courage...
0: And justice? And justice, yeah. That is the one, right? Yeah, yeah. That one, that one was tough. yeah. Um... <laughs> uh, Perhaps the, the toughest. Yeah,
1: there's, because there are lots of different categories and different lists yeah, uh, of, of, of virtues, like from the Greeks, from the Romans, and then the, the theological ones are the great ones that we find in the Bible: faith, hope, and love. Hmm. Um, and they're different from the other virtues because there's a supernatural element hmm. to them. Like they are their their origin is God, and he they he is the one who gives them to us. Hmm. So they're gifts, but we can also practice them and exercise them Mm. and so my chapter on love uh, talks about the different kinds of love in following C.S. Lewis and other Mm. philosophers because unfortunately in English we use the word love and we use it to mean everything from (laughs) marriage to familial love to sex and you know there are just many different meanings of that word and so then in that chapter I focus on agape love Mm. which is Brother, you know, it is godly love that we extend to um, the people around us. And the story that I use to illustrate that is Tolstoy's um, death of Ivan Ilyich, which Hmm. is a devastating Hmm. story of, you know, a the death of a man uh, who's lived his life really without that kind of love and mm. doesn't find it until he's on his deathbed. It's very, very moving, powerful mm. story, mm. Um, and one that teaches us a lot about agape love. I think.
0: Mm. Sounds like a lot of the ones you, a lot of the works you dealt with, in dealing with the virtue, you engage with works that show sometimes more than anything the lack of the virtue and what a, what right. a, an emptiness life has without these virtues, especially with something like love, which is like you said, it comes from the nature of God. I know Aquinas talks about it being an infused virtue that you kind of can't have the virtue of love unless you're mm. connected to God. And so, right. in some ways, the only way you can explain that is if you show show what life is without it.
1: Exactly. And it, it, I think that's, you know, literature is good because it shows, um, I mean, it it has a redemptive element to it, but it also has the fall to Mm. it. And so oftentimes we have negative examples. Um, so for example, in, um, a tale of two cities, Mm. that's a chapter book that I use to discuss the cardinal virtue of justice. And Mm. if you know anything about that work, you know, (laughs) it is a world that's riddled with injustice, but from that world, we can get a picture of what real justice begins to look like.
0: Mm, it kind of taps into our desire for fullness or for goodness. Makes me think, I feel like in some ways, I know more about faithfulness from Anna Karenina, which is really a story about mm. unfaithfulness. Uh, yes. But you, yes, there's something about us that um, that sometimes needs to see the lack to create the desire for what would be fullness. Uh, how it must've been fun just to sit with those stories and to think through those virtues. Was it, what was it like to write that? Was it laborious? Was it easy? Was it fun? What was it?
1: Oh, no, that's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who loves the reading and Mm -hmm. researching process. (laughs) And so I love that, but I also find the writing part kind of painful and hard. (laughs) And so it, it, you know, I sit down and, and, you know, I have stacks and stacks of books on virtue that I got because I yeah. got virtue was new to me. And so I had to read moral philosophy and read these books of virtue, uh, about virtue that I'd never read before. And then mm. revisit the classic works and I could just get, I would just be happy doing that, but I had <laughs> a contract to produce a book. So at some point, you know, I've got to sit down and, and take all those notes and all those ideas and put them together. And so, um, It was so the the research and reading uh, was fun and enjoyable, uh, and then the first part of the writing and drafting is the laborious part for me, very painful and angsty.
0: so you don't get over that. I'm hoping that at some point I get over that.
1: <laughs> I, I I have not yet.
0: And even
1: even for short essays, when I'm sitting down putting the words on the page, I'm just like blah blah blah. <laughs> um, I only have fun in the last like five percent of it, which is when I'm you know finding a better word or rearranging a sentence. That's that's delightful to me, but it takes so much work to get there.
0: I I feel the that's very. Um, I feel the exact same way about writing. Like I love you know I my PhD has five chapters, and I'm on... I'm, like, grinding to the end of the fourth chapter because... I love the part where you read all the books and you take all the notes and you make all the <laughs> yes, discovery, yes. but it's just like the drafting. And then it's, and like you said, it's also fun to like get to the point where it's all there and you're sculpting it and making it pretty. Yes, and yes. you know, that's really satisfying, but it's just the, like getting the words on the page that, um, it, it's the, is it the Hemingway, is it Hemingway who says you just have to open a vein. And I and, used to think that, <laughs> I used to think that meant being really emotional, but now i realize it just means like all of your energy into this thing, you know?
1: Yes, uh, that's exactly it.
0: Yeah. No. Did you did you read like after virtue for that was that one of your?
1: Yes. Yeah. That. I mean, I read that um, for the for the foundational research, and then I, then on my, in my chapter on um, Jane Austen and Persuasion. Because <sighs> oh, um, he just draw
0: loved on that
1: heavily because yeah because uh, McIntyre loved Jane Austen for all the right things. I know. He got he got her
0: and. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that one of the greatest philosophers of our time has a huge intellectual crush on, on Jane Austen. Yes, which is uh, completely right and and it good. Shows and how it. brilliant
1: he is. <laughs> Indeed,
0: which leads us into um, another project that you've just done and part of the grander conversation we wanted to have today, which is that you're now coming out with, kind of a series of books. Mm-hmm um, that are classics with introductions. So you're really kind of giving people the way into these books. So tell us about that project.
1: Yes, this project just launched, um, in March with the first two, uh, books, which are, uh, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad and Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Uh, a great pair if I ever saw one. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, they're, they're very opposite, but why i chose them together uh, but what the series is uh is it's published by bnh publishers a, a division of lifeway mm-hmm. and uh i've taken books that i love mm. and that are also in the public domain because mm. it's important that people know that these are um these are the we can find guides and reflections oftentimes that mm. are separate um mm. uh, but the, we're, a, we're actually republishing the book itself yeah um and the volume includes an introduction that I've written. That's pretty substantial. Um, I've done light editing to the to the text and added footnotes uh, or and uh, you know, to explain obsolete words or yeah. uh, places and things like that. And then at the end of each section or volume uh, or chapter, depending on the work, um, I have discussion and reflection questions. And it's to do. D- these are all designed to do exactly what your podcast. Does I've written these for readers who maybe have never been exposed to these works or ha- learned to hate them in high school when they were assigned to them, <laughs> yeah, and need you know a little bit of light hand holding, yeah, through the process of reading. But we can all do it with a little bit of guidance, and um, that's what these volumes are for. And they're also um, beautiful cloth bound keepsake editions um, that will. The family heirlooms I believe with the ribbon ribbon the oh, placeholder yeah. and beautiful covers so
0: yeah you just showed me uh, on Skype one of the covers and it's just gorgeous and i really i love that because i think it's so common for all of us you know you get to a point in your life where you want to engage with classics Uh, Mm -hmm. but there can be kind of, first of all, the panic of where do I begin? What book do I choose? And then how do I dive into it? And so I think that will be such a a tool. It also sounds like it'd be a lot of fun to do with book clubs. Like,
1: yes. Yeah. So they, I mean, because the discussion questions are ones that can guide an individual reader, but also are great for book clubs. And the one thing I want to say, because, and I didn't really think of this until I was, I had dived into this process and, was engaging with people on Twitter about it. <laughs> um, one thing that's common, you know, you go to Barnes and Noble or any of the bookstores, and they will often have these um, either nicely bound or cheap paperback editions of the classics. And mm-hmm. some editors come along and written an introduction. I assign these books to my students, and we read them in class. And sometimes I forget to tell my students not to read those introductions because they include so many spoilers.
0: And if, yeah, if they—that's no fun.
1: Yeah, if you're reading one of these great novels for the first time, of course they're they're they're, they're very re-readable. I read them over and over, mm. even though I know what happens. But when you're reading it for the first time, that delight of surprise and discovery is is so wonderful. So the introductions that I've written mm. do not give spoilers. Um, but I, you know, I save the questions and the reflections for the major events of the story for the discussion questions after the, someone has read them. So I've written introductions that really are meant to introduce a reader, to equip a reader, give some kind of context and framework t- to go into the, to the novel. With but not, not cliff notes. not spoil it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So uh, let's, Talk about one of those two books. I was um, I've read both, but I love one more than I love the other. If I'm honest, um, do I get to guess which yeah. one? Yeah, I mean you could if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Hmm. Mm.
1: I suspect *Sense and Sensibility*.
0: Oh, how did you guess? <laughs> You're correct. And um, I listen. I actually just last year, I I listened to a lot of audiobooks since doing PhD because you know you spend all day reading, and so and it's nice. It's fun to have. And I just was so delighted all over again by being back in the world of Sense and Sensibility. Um, it's such a delightful read. And I think it was interesting, too, for me to read it and um, realize I identified the different characters now than Man. I did when I read it, you know, when I was 16. And <laughs> um, and that I picked up on very different themes. And it's just, it's it is both... It is a deep and a delightful book. So for people who may not have encountered it yet, give them a scope without spoilers, at least at the beginning, right. <laughs> of what this book is concerned with and what the base of the story is.
1: Yes, and I, I will avoid spoilers. Um, and one of the things I want to say, even before I talk about this book specifically, about all of Austin. Yes. I just, I want, and maybe your audience already knows this, but I have to say it. Jane Austen is not chiclet. No. So, for anyone out there who has not read Austin because you think, oh, it's just love stories, it's just romance, it is the opposite. Yeah. Austen is a satirist. Yeah. Um, she's a comedian. She's hysterical.
0: Um, she's so she, funny.
1: Hysterical, and she's she's a moral ethicist. She's she a moral really is. philosopher. And so she is, of course, she's a woman writing in the nineteenth century late 18th early 19th century and her world is domestic and and marriage and love is her concern but she's using what she knows writing what she knows to critique all of society around Mm. her and you can do a lot of critique through these relationships so i do want to say that jane austen is so much more than a love story the love stories are the means to the end of moral philosophy that's her her goal um, and Sense and Sensibility, um, two sort of introductory things I'll say about that, and that is um, it's it's her earliest work. Hmm. So it's a little rougher, hmm. you know. Um, I don't think her art is as well-developed as it is in her later works. Hmm. and And so readers, I think most readers will notice that, and that's okay. I mean, they can kind of, if you see something that, you know, think that maybe – Some of it's a little uneven. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. The other thing is, um, just to understand the words of the, of the, of the novel, um, sense and sensibility roughly correspond to the terms that we would use today. Reason and emotion.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and so, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take long into the book to figure out the two main characters, Eleanor and Marianne kind of align mm-hmm. one, one de- relies heavily on reason, the other heavily on emotion. Um, and because Austin um, was a virtue ethicist, mm-hmm. and she believed in virtue. Um, she's all about kind of finding that virtue, which is the moderation between excesses, which is why Alistair McIntyre, um, rightly uh, praises her because she, that's what the essence of virtue is.
0: Well, and another thing that I love about Austen, and I think this is something I've come to appreciate the older I get, is that she is all about how virtue is, in large part, it's about living well and with integrity with the limitations of the life that you've been given and mm. or the life that you find yourself in. And that doesn't mean you have this life, you should be stuck in it, and you can't progress or move beyond. But it's, how do I act with character and with integrity to the people and the circumstances in which I am? And and um, and the relationships and the domesticity is kind of the theater for, for yeah. that virtue taking place. And, you know, it's funny, because people can, you know, we may not think of it as the great political drama or whatever, but right now, I think, as everyone is pretty much quarantined in their houses... Mm-hmm domesticity will be the theater for our own drama of virtue. And so in some ways she just puts that on display, I think really beautifully. That
1: is is so well put. And you're absolutely right. I mean, as I was writing this, uh, the introduction and the reflection Mm -hmm. questions for sense and sensibility, I was thinking more of sort of the larger things that are going on in the political scene or, you know, in our country and in the world and how, you know, we need to, to moderate both sense and sensibility. Um, But those, that same moderation, that same exercise of virtue and the same test of character occurs. I mean, we see it in the, the larger theater of the country and the world mm-hmm. because of what's happening in the smaller theater of our homes. And this test of character that we face right now mm-hmm. um, in, in how we, you know, I mean, I've just spent... You know, several days debating with my friends who are who are on spring break with me whether or not we'll go to a movie this week, mm-hmm. and you know we finally had to decide no, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, now we may have no choice, but mm-hmm. that was that's a test of virtue. It um, is.
0: Well, I was so- yeah, I was thinking about that today. I was thinking, you know, when I was a kid, I read all of these very heroic books and I always thought, I want to, I want to be brave somehow. I want to, you know, but in, in an odd way, these little tests of character and tests of heroism can be much more less dramatic than we think they could be. And that's a whole, one of the whole ideas behind virtue. It's like you said, it's the moderation between uh, you know, bravery is neither being foolhardy nor is it being mm-hmm. so prudent that you, that yes. you don't do anything. And mm-hmm. so a lot of this virtue plays out here in our individual lives not our individualistic lives, but our, our smaller lives, our domestic right. lives. Yeah. Right.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And, and Austin, understood
1: this so well. Yeah. Um, she, you know, the way that um, McIntyre describes her is, is, you know, she's one of the last of the, of the classical virtue ethicists because she, that's really her tradition she was following in, um, was a long tradition of, of the, the classical and neoclassical mm. world. Yeah. Before, romanticism burst onto the scene. <laughs> yes.
0: Although you feel like Marianne in this story is kind of having some of the forebodings of what romanticism will have. <laughs> have take place.
1: Absolutely. Austin certainly understood the undercurrents of her time. And yes. She was, a, she was a prophet as well as a, as yes. a poet. <laughs>
0: Indeed. Well, and just to give people uh, without spoilers, but this is not really a spoiler because it comes in the very first chapter. The book is kind of based on uh, based around this, this family who, um, were quite well off and comfortable. Um, but it was the, the mother had, was the second wife. And so there was a son before them. And, um, in Regency era London, uh, not London, Regency era England, it was not possible for a father to divide his inheritance between his sons and his daughters. And so when the father dies, um, the mother and her and her three—it's it's three, right? Yes, Marianne. Yeah, three yeah. daughters. Yeah, three daughters are all left at the mercy of the son, who is not very virtuous. <laughs> um, he has the the vice of being very easily persuaded by a, a very persuasive um, partner, <laughs> and so they're kind of left um, left a little bit in the lurch. And you have these the two sisters who kind of come to represent these two. Sense and Sensibility, or as you said, reason and emotion. Um, Marianne, the passionate, younger um, piano playing. I I grew up watching the Sense and Sensibility adaptation with Emma Thompson. And, you know, I always think of um, of Marianne in that, uh, who is always playing very dramatic pieces on the pianoforte (laughs) and traipsing across um, England and rainstorms and being emotional. And then the very composed, um, you know, Eleanor, who wants to direct the family. So you kind of follow their two courses of life and reckoning with this difficulty. Um, But of course, there's also romance and things. So uh, what would you tell readers to look out for as they read this book? What are the kind of themes they should think along? The questions they should ask? Yeah, well, you know,
1: I would first have them look at the of the story even before the themes because mm. I think when you enter this world, especially if it, you're new to it and the, the language and the world yeah. and the, the characters are strange and a lot of people don't realize when they're reading Austen that, it, as you mentioned before, she's hilarious. Oh, yeah. So...
0: You don't always... I think we read things that sound old to us. It's like when you read Shakespeare and you're like, this is all very serious and then you get a little right. older and you're like, wow, he's being really dirty. Like, this is a funny joke. Right, right. <laughs> and she's not I mean, doing that, but...
1: We, we're the sincere era. <laughs> we are much more, much more comedy and satire in earlier ages. Yeah, um, but so, so really, let you know, let readers need to let themselves laugh at the ridiculousness of the characters. Yeah, and that that's a main thing, um, and. You've already brought up an important part theme that I talk about in my introduction, and that is the romantic worldview that mm. Marianne represents. And um, what makes Austen so good, and again, without spoilers, is she's really good at critiquing excesses,
0: mm. but
1: she also, she doesn't, she understands that to just completely reject something like romanticism mm. or love is also and So it's about finding that balance and that moderation. So as readers read, they, and you've already mentioned this too, like you in one stage of life, you might find yourself identifying more with one character than another. And I think what Austin wants us to do in all of her books, not just this one is, is to not completely accept or reject any one character, but Mm. to realize that they have strengths and they have weaknesses and they need improvements and corrections. Mm. um, And, as we all do and to not, and to resist that temptation to just go to, to one extreme that's safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Like I will always be reasonable or I will always just follow my emotions. Yes. Um, neither one of those is the correct course of action in Austin's um, way of thinking. And that's what her, what this novel shows. It's really about
0: Yeah. And uh, the thing I love about that is that there's a way in which she kind of shows empathy and love for Mm. each character as they are. You know, that, um, without giving spoilers, uh, there can be a temptation, especially I think if you're at an older, more mature stage, to look at Marianne and be like, oh my gosh, she's just so emotional, Mm -hmm. so ridiculous. She follows her. But then you, you look at her and, like you said, you realize that there is, there is, there is a reality in the desire for love. There's a reality and a desire for the release of strong, true, real emotions. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then the opposite is true also of Eleanor. You know, you, you realize that in some ways the reader, you know, she's the good eldest child who, who <laughs> acts like a good eldest child. But you realize that um, as a reader, if we're going to really love her, as, as we would if we were really going to love uh, our dear eldest children friends, you, you kind of have to let them not be the eldest child in some ways. And right. it's, it's interesting how she doesn't let you think of one person as the heroine, exactly. I mean, like, obviously, there is a sense, but they're both growing. They're both growing towards each other. Do you think she favors sense or sensibility? Well,
1: and I do talk about this in, in the introduction. I, One of her biographers actually showing through her letters um, argues that Jane Austen I, w- saw herself more as a Marianne hmm. and her sister, Cassandra, as an Eleanor, hmm. which... Is throws a little bit into the, of a wrench into the mix because the novel does seem to favor Eleanor a little bit more, and so you think that that's probably you know where Jane Austen's own uh, you know, bias is. But I think she was she was correcting herself in writing mm. the story. She kind of knew her own tendencies and was making fun of herself more than mm. anyone else. And I think again that's where the empathy comes from. But mm. that's that's where the great example for us so that as readers, we can see, oh, we can, we need to know ourselves, Hmm. uh, just as the Greek philosopher said, Hmm. um, in order to improve ourselves, we have to know who we are and and know what our strengths and weaknesses are.
0: And that really is a lot of Jane Austen, isn't it? Is it's a a greater self-knowledge of why we do the things we do and, and coming to not hate those things about ourselves, but know how to work better within them. And work right. better with them. And and I've always held too, I, I had a there was a discussion of there's a great project called the Character Project at Oxford that does discussions of things mm-hmm. and they read the books and they watch the film. And there was a, a lot of like really anti Marianne rhetoric going on. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and as a recovering Marianne, I feel <laughs> like <laughs> I actually feel like in many ways Marianne actually helps Eleanor in some ways grow as well. Um,
1: She she absolutely does
0: because um, Eleanor. Th-
1: that's the thing to look for With, again without yeah, giving without spoilers giving spoilers. Away. Right, right. Eleanor, who is sort of the the exemplary character throughout, learns from Marianne and has to be a little bit like Marianne by the end in order to grow.
0: Exactly. So it's so fun. So um, an interesting way to kind of uh, bring this discussion. I, I love your final thoughts, but one question I want to know is, do you have a favorite adaptation of Sense and Sensibility? Or, or are um, you de- pro-adaptation? No, I, I definitely love the Ang Lee um,
1: production with, with Emma Thompson. Um, I, I, I would say of the other adaptations of Austin, I don't like any of I think most of the film adaptations don't understand Austin, especially the ones about Pride and Prejudice. Mm. Um Maybe the BBC one gets it right, um, but it's just a little—you know—it's a little not so fresh today. Yeah. Um But the, I just recently saw. A stage version Ooh. of *Sense and Sensibility* that was absolutely brilliant. Mm. It heightened the comedy and the satire, and it, it and I ah. I do not remember who the playwright is. Um, but it was absolutely brilliant. She's apparently Ooh. done other adaptations of Austin as well, and so it was fun, wonderful.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. so fun. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree. I think part of the problem is. Where we like you said we are the sincere generation mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of adaptations have a hard time laughing with austin <laughs> yes um, exactly but i do love i love the uh emma thompson wrote the screenplay for that um and it's kind of its own work of art in the sense that i don't think it's entirely taking off of of her own like i don't think she picks up on the satire as much um but it is just so beautiful um and such a lovely adaptation however they both seem very old because you realize in the book they're what is it 17 and 19
1: yeah yes yes exactly and
0: in the movie you have a mature 35 year old emma thompson Yes. Which is a very different, uh, a different so, mood. So
1: reading reading the book, I mean, that is definitely a, ver- a film version I recommend. Um, and even I don't even mind when people watch the film before reading yes. the book. I, I think that's fine. But it's, it's helpful to just, you know, and sometimes re- watching the film first can prepare you better for yeah. um, a work like this. But then it's fun to pay attention to the
0: differences. So. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, well, any closing thoughts on... Um, on literature, virtue or sense and sensibility in, in the sincere generation?
1: <laughs> well, one thing I, I guess I would add about sense and sensibility and really all of Austin that can throw modern readers off, but I think is also one of Austin's great gifts to us is the emphasis in her world and in that world and in, in her books on family
0: hmm. um,
1: so many of the decisions that yeah. get made um, are very different and made in a different way or have different outcomes than we would think makes sense because they're decisions that are made on the basis of family for good and ill.
0: Hmm. I mean, sometimes,
1: sometimes the, you know, the, the inheritance laws were bad for women and bad for mm-hmm. most people. Um, but on the other hand, the idea of, of, considering the effects that your decision your decisions have on your entire family and your neighborhood yeah. like that's something that we need a little bit more of today especially yeah. going back to this current moment with this pandemic um, yeah. we need to make decisions that with a better understanding of how they affect our family and our neighbors and, and Austin understood that and that's something I if you're rereading her work or reading for the first time, um, I, th- I think that's something to really pay close attention to.
0: I think that's a really good point. And I think that often in our kind of more modern romances, we set mm-hmm. romances, if you want to call them that. But like stories about people coming together in marriage, we right. tend to set, we almost set um, this false dichotomy of doing things for your family or for your community or or keeping them in mind and following your heart Mm -hmm. But the thing that's, I think, so compelling and truly countercultural about her, at least to us now, is the idea that really, if you are from an integrated community that is healthful and good, um, the love that will Mm. nourish you will also in some way nourish the entire kind of context that you come from. And likewise, that a love that will damage you will also damage your whole context. And, right. yeah, and I think that's something that we have a really difficult time with as our culture. But as you said, I think there are ways in which life will push us to see that that's more true than we give it credit for. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: And you, and you, and you, I don't have a sister. Yeah. Um, you do. And I, I, I do. Know that that's- relationship is is really important to you and mm. I, I it blesses me just to watch it <laughs> um and in sense and sensibility too another thing to pay attention i mean this is about two sisters yeah and their relationship ends up really it is much more central yeah than the love relationship it's true um, so yeah that's something to pay attention to as well
0: that's that's so true um in some ways like yes in some ways um not in some ways it really is the central uh, relationship and actually i wonder sometimes if that's why it's one of my favorite austen mm-hmm. novels is because that that relationship between those two sisters really is so central and seeing how they help each other grow how they have conflicts and forgive each other how they mm-hmm. how they misunderstand each other and draw out what is difficult but also mm-hmm. what is good um is so uh beautiful and interesting and deep and um and really you see austin with no concern for modern um you know readings from the bechdel test passing it nonetheless (laughs) (laughs) um and no it really is beautiful um and i do love that about that because there, i mean like pride and prejudice also has sisterly relationships of course because it's about five Mm -hmm. sisters but there's something unique i think about Mm -hmm. the marianne eleanor relationship that's different right different right. than the others because there is a third
1: sister but she's off. you know she's just not doesn't play as important a role yeah this, these two sisters that, that really is the center of the novel and
0: it is um, yeah oh i know and i remember you know thinking of film adaptations to that scene where she's nursing well i won't give away but there's a scene that's very i always felt very as a sister very connected to because it is mm-hmm. such a yeah both in the book and and also in the movies so yeah, no. It is a it is a beautiful and worthwhile book, that is both enjoyable and um, satisfying, but really will challenge you to think about becoming becoming a good person. Um, at yes. its heart, that's really what it's about is is mm. growing um, in virtue. So, Karen, where can people find you and your thoughts? Where are you where Where should they go to discover more of your thinking?
1: Well, if if they're in, they can go for the for the foundation, the basics to my website mm-hmm. here at swallowprior.com. Mm-hmm. But if they want to get the, the notorious part of me, they can um, <laughs> <laughs> go to Twitter where I'm far too active. Prior. Uh-huh. Twitter uh, all the time. Too much time. <laughs> Especially now
0: that we're all uh, stuck at home, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. I'm going to try to read even more, um, but uh, I'll be on Twitter too, I'm sure.
0: I know, me too. I did just – I, I my, my, the closest thing I got to panic buying – was that I thought, this is a funny thing, but I really have read through most of the books that I have in my house, like the novels, because, uh, you know, I live overseas and so I, I haven't traveled with tons and tons of books. So I went to my local bookshop and got a stack of five new novels because um, I thought if I'm going to be stuck in my house for two weeks, oh. I've got to have some pleasure reading.
1: Heavenly.
0: (laughs) Heavenly indeed. And doing my part to keep local bookstores alive, right? There you go. (laughs) Oh. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Karen. This has been so lovely. And um, I'm just, I hope people go and find your beautiful heirloom edition and also your many other interesting thoughts.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Joy.
0: (laughs) All right. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you will join me next week. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and review on iTunes. Thanks, everybody.